Uh, today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 3. Uh, I'm going to be looking at the story of John the Baptizer this week, and next week we'll be looking at the baptism of Jesus back to back, and it'll be a real good time. But I want to start off today with a story, and so uh, I'm going to read it to us and hopefully set the scene for us as we come in to hear from Jesus through this text. Remember, the book of Matthew is written not just to give us some religious principles or some good advice, but to announce good news. The kingdom of God is here and to shape a kingdom community, a group of people who believe this story to be true and then want to shape their entire lives by it. Uh, it's not meant just to be trivia, so that way when you go home and you guys have really exciting lives and you want to play Bible trivia tonight and you're like, yo, who is Jesus' cousin? And you can just ding, 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 John the baptizer, I win. What did he eat? Locusts and honey. Ding, 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 I win. That's not the point of the story at the end of the day, though those details matter. At the end of the day, Matthew, and I believe Jesus, is wanting to shape us as the kind of community whose lives are forever marked by our obedience to the things that we're invited into. So imagine with me, you're in a quaint seaside town where the rhythm of the waves lull residents into a sense of peaceful routine. In the heart of this community, there's a weathered fisherman named Maria. Maria was known for her bustling fish market, slightly shady business practices, and a relentless need to prove that she was successful. She was caught up in a cycle of success and then repeating cycle of religious responsibilities to try to make up for those shady business practices that she engaged in Monday through Friday. She gave some money to the local ministry work, but honestly kept most of it for herself. Whenever chances to serve others came up, they often fell on deaf ears because her calendar was too full for interruptions. Her personal life was an absolute mess a series of relationships that never fully delivered what she thought they should. So she gave herself over to the fantasy of a life she never actually thought she could have with people she hadn't yet met, but surely must be out there somewhere. One day, however, the storms of life shook her to the core. In the midst of facing a series of setbacks, she followed her friend to the edge of the Jordan River where she sat and heard a man preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. This man's passion clarity and conviction about stripping what didn't matter, embracing an ancient way of justice, goodness, and simplicity resonated deep within her. His call to recognize that God's reign is finally drawing near and it's forming a new community made her feel like she could be a part of that family. This community was not just made up of the religious elite, but anyone who would embrace this Messiah and enter his way of life. She looked around her, and she saw tax collectors, other fishermen. She saw sex workers. She saw blue-collar workers. She saw C-level executives. She saw soldiers, and she saw religious teachers with their arms crossed. She saw former prisoners and those that held them prisoner, side by side, standing on the shore, listening to this message, captivated by this vision of life and the claims that this kingdom had drawn near. Feeling the urgency of the call, Maria did something unexpected. She changed her life. She limited the hours of her fish market. She downsized her fleet of fishing boats and embarked on a journey of simplicity and justice. Her daily routine shifted from a hurried chaos to being present with God, her family, and her community. 
Her finances began to reflect the value that she said she had. The law called for 10%, but she found joy in seeing how much she could give to the needs of others and experience the gospel on a day-to-day basis through the work of her hands being a part of what God was doing. Rather than the incessant need to prove herself, she found a deep soul satisfaction in the life that she had been given and her role in the kingdom that she now saw breaking through in her everyday life in significant ways. When opportunities to serve others arose, she embraced them as invitations to participate in God's work in the lives of others. Kids and adults knew that they not only had space in Maria's calendar, but space in her heart. As Maria would cast her nets out day by day, she experienced a regular reminder of that day that she made a decision to drop her pretense and performance to embrace the life of the kingdom. As the nets would dip under the water, she would remember how John had dipped her under the water and raised her up into a life of fullness and bounty. She remembered that she no longer had to be a slave to pretense and performance, but was able to embrace the life of the kingdom. She could do all the effort she wanted, but just like fishing, it took someone else to make it work. She was not in control, but she was safe to the surrender of the reality of God's provision and lived every day aware of his presence. That same sea, which once was just a source of livelihood and a place to validate herself, became a sanctuary for reflection and connection with God and others that she shared her life with. Word of Maria's transformation spread throughout the small town, drawing curious onlookers to the shoreline. The once bustling fish market had been transformed into a communal space where neighbors gathered to share stories, lend a helping hand, and find solace in the simplicity that Maria embraced. You finally hear the stories of transformation and have honestly found yourself longing for some of the same things, a life outside the frantic pace and pursuit of proving yourself free from the patterns of empty religion and the thoughts and behaviors that you know lead away from experience a full and flourishing life. You have a desire to be close to God and experience that sort of life that you've read about in the pages of Scripture, but never quite experience. A way marked by faith, hope, and love. Not pretense, not performance, and certainly not empty religion. So you show up on her doorstep, and with a sheepish smile and eyes full of desperation, you look at her, and she knows. She packs a few loaves, a few fish, she has them on hand, and asks you to follow her to the shore of the Jordan River. She wants to introduce you to her friend named John. So off you head. That's the place that today's story is going to come, standing on the shore of the Jordan River. I tell the story that way because sometimes we get so familiar with the stories of Bible characters that we forget that these are real people with real lives who had real decisions to make. Uh, When we come to these stories, I would love for us to continue to enter into them, not just stand at a distance. And so let me read the text for today that tells the story of John and then invite us into a few things as we look at 2024. Matthew writes this, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who is spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. 
a voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make paths straight for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locust and wild honey. Puts your smoothie game to shame, doesn't it? People went out to him from Jerusalem and all of Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming out to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think that you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you, that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, that's a farming tool, and he will clear the threshing floor gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Uh, this is our story for today. Uh, it's a picture into the life of John the baptizer. Uh, we've learned already that John is Jesus' cousin. Uh, his mom was sisters with Mary, and so they had grown up at least aware of each other, if not friends. Uh, at this point in their lives, they're probably right around the edge of 30, and so live a full three decades. At that time, your life expectancy wasn't super long, and so they probably uh, were over the proverbial uh, Jewish hill at the time. And so they were on the second half of life. They had figured out who they wanted to be, what they were called into, and how they were going to live. And John chose the way of the weird uncle who you know would always have a good story. Uh, the man out in the wilderness who was a prophetic voice calling people to come and listen, to come and see, to come and experience good news and repent from the way they've been living. And he was out in the wilderness doing this. So he didn't grow a huge Instagram feed. He didn't uh, figure out how do I get the algorithm right. He would preach and God would draw people together to hear the word. And as they heard his message of repent, the kingdom of God is near. It's almost here. It's at the precipice. You're invited to be a part of what God's up to right now. Turn from your sin and become a part of this. Turn from your old way of thinking and living, and you can be a part of this. And a mixed-matched group of people along the shoreline would come together and wait to be baptized by John. This baptism symbolized that they were going to be presented clean among God's people, that they would come into this rushing Jordan River, they would put him down in the water and symbolize a cleanliness, a choice to live free of the sins that had held them, and to align their hearts and their lives with the people of God and the purposes that God had always had for his people. Uh, remember, we've talked about how the story of Jesus is a story that continues the story of the Old Testament. And so the call to love God and love your neighbor that's woven throughout every page of Scripture up to this date 
was the call that God had put on his people. He wanted them to live a certain way and reflect that in their finances, their their sexual ethics, the way that they arranged their homes and their lives of worship, the way that they chose to do certain things and refrain from other things were all marked by God was a central figure and how can we best arrange our lives to love him, to love one another and see the world flourish. Some of the laws, when you read them, don't quite read that simply, and we don't see the connection. That was the big idea of what they were called into. And Israel as a nation had drifted from that, which was made up of people, individuals, those who were part of God's people that had also drifted from that on their own. And so when John's heralding voice launched out among God's people, the most unlikely responded and were baptized, put under the water, that call, repent, turn from your way of thinking because the kingdom of God in all of its beauty and justice and healing and hope and forgiveness and freedom is near. And by proxy, you get to be a part of that if you respond. So people did. And that's the first message. Isn't that beautiful? Uh, Isn't that compelling? This kingdom of God, what is that? That seems very, very interesting. Um, South African missiologist, a guy named David Bosch, says that the kingdom of God is where God's reign is embodied and his rule is secure. It's where it brings about justice and peace and reconciliation. It's a realm where God's intentions for creation are fully realized and the brokenness caused by sin is healed. Uh, This is a kingdom of God doesn't just live in our hearts, but it sets up in our midst. And the beauty of John announcing, that's finally here. The people of Israel have been waiting for that day, one, to come and set up that kingdom. And then in Jesus, he's saying it's finally here. There's a moment where that kingdom is breaking in. And so it's not just an invitation to some slight changes in our lives, but a holistic reorientation to what God's up to in the world. He's saying, let's get Back to the basics, strip away a lot of the stuff. And remember, life in God's kingdom is for your good and for the sake of the world. And he's saying we all, they all, had ways that they had drifted from that calling. And this was a fresh invitation to participation in the work that God was up to, if they would leave those lesser way of living and enter fully into this water, which is a beautiful message, and people respond, and it's exciting. But just because a message gets said doesn't mean it's heard. Do you know what I mean? Just because a message gets said, and just because the person communicating it has passion and clarity, the imagery is a John just announcing this in the wilderness, and people respond. But there's a second group of people, isn't there? Uh, Those that are standing with their arms crossed, the Pharisees and the Sadducees that he has a slightly different message for. They're hearing the same news, but they're not responding the same way. I was on a flight recently, uh, just coming back from Nebraska, and uh, I was sitting on this side, and on the other side of the aisle, uh, a medical emergency developed. Um, I had my headphones on, um, the noise-canceling functions there, which is beautiful on flights, especially when you fly Allegiant or Spirit or... Other ones where there's more kids and dogs than there are adults. Um, And so you've just got a full uh, cacophony of of things going on. Um, And so I put the 
but out of the corner of my eye, I see that there is a husband, full-on panic look in his eye, a child screaming, which can happen for any number of reasons on a plane. Uh, but the next seat over from the husband and the child is the wife in a full-on seizure. Like, she is fully stretched out, her body is locked, and his look of absolute panic uh, calling for help. This is just developing right next to us, right? And my um, minimum um, CPR skills and first aid response, which did say, in the case of a seizure, here's what you do, is not quite up to par for those things. Uh, the flight attendants rushed in, and then the guy, um, who was also a doctor, who was in the back, stepped forward calmly uh, and was able to help them with the situation, right? And so this whole scene develops for like five minutes. Uh, she's having a seizure, she's locked up, the child's screaming, the husband's screaming for help. Uh, there's a situation that demands immediate attention, and so I'm watching this unfold. Like, this is pretty amazing that this guy knows how to handle this situation. Um, like, I don't know what happens next. Like, we're over the, we're pretty close to Phoenix, but do we have to divert? Like, how does that work out? I'm really hoping this lady, like, comes out, and then she starts to come out of the seizure. Uh, and she returns, and they're talking to her, asking her how it was. She thought she just passed out real quick, um, and that was her take on the whole situation. It's like she just thought she had passed out and then came to real quick because she wasn't feeling well. Um, we all saw a very different scene, and so the paramedics came when we got off the plane. The thing uh, that was most astounding is as this literal life and death situation is unfolding, uh, this husband screaming for help, announcing, I need help, can you respond? Like the flight attendants are rushing in. The row in front of them, uh, there are two kids and a parent strapped into, through a three-way uh, divider, into one screen in front of them. All three have lovely Apple uh, noise-canceling headphones, and they're all watching Bluey. So they're watching, what's Bluey's brother's sister's name? What is it? Bingo, Dingo? Bingo. Bingo. So Bluey and Bingo are uh, unfolding in their narrative right in front of these people. They're completely oblivious. They hear nothing. They've completely tuned out the outside world. They have no idea that there's this call going on behind them for help, that somebody's literally on the brink of figuring out like what their body is like shutting down but not shutting down. There's doctors doing uh, their medical stuff behind them, and they're completely in their own little world, turned off, tuned off, watching Bluey and Bingo save the world. The calls went out, the, the, the request for help, the announcement that, hey, we need to do something with this situation was all there. But their frame of mind led them to a place where they were deaf. I don't blame them for having noise-canceling headphones. I would have been me probably if I wasn't sitting in a different seat. But for the story, the announcement went out. It was a serious deal. This is changing somebody's life. But they were unable to hear it because they had dulled their senses to what was happening around them. As John's looking out, he sees those responding to his call who are coming near, who are answering, who are being baptized, who are giving their lives over to being transformed, who's saying, I want to participate with God and what he's up to in this world in my life. I want to take the moments and the hours and the days and the weeks and the months and the years, whatever they are, and push them in to go along with God and his agenda and his life for me. That's what I want. Let me show that by being baptized. That's where I'm at. And then there's another group of people that it falls on deaf ears, those Pharisees and those Sadducees, and he turns towards them with a different message. But catch this. He's going to do the same thing he does all throughout John, or throughout Matthew. He's going to invite both the irreligious and the religious to hear this message and give them a choice. He has them some strong words for them. You brood of vipers. That's not flattering in any culture. 
That's not like ancient Near Eastern. That's like, oh, that's, that's a cool thing. That's slang. Like, they're boys. That's what he's saying. No, that was insulting no matter how you look at it. You're a bunch of snakes. Who told you to flee from the wrath to come? But then he gives them an invitation. You probably think you've done your repenting. You probably think you're good to go. You're saying, I'm one of Abraham's children. Uh, that means I'm good to go. I'm a past. I'm of the right lineage. I have the right background. I've had the right experiences. I'm good to go. I don't surely need to do this thing, but I'll watch the show. And he tells them, you bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Don't just have an idea. Uh, and it's funny because even back then, they must have had a religious idea that you could say, I repent and I change and I follow Jesus without your life actually doing it. It's real, it's gritty, it finds its roots in everyday life. And he tells them that there's judgment coming, right? And there's going to be a separation of those who both practice and produce fruit and those who just said it and it's meaningless. And that's his word to them. An invitation for both groups of people in some way to respond to the good news that the kingdom is here and you can be a part of that, the freedom and forgiveness and healing and hope, it's for you. But don't think that just because you come from a certain place or you sit in a certain seat or you happen to have found your lineage a certain way that you're good to go, is your life marked by actually obeying the things that God's shown you? As we start 2024, I think that's a great point to start on in some ways are there things from our past year our past life that we already know God's called us to turn from then he gives us a second uh, vision this imagery uh, is of Jesus and so he says there's another coming and I just want to read that he says I bapt you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear the threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Uh, John was the preview, but Jesus was the main feature, right? right? John was the undercard, and Jesus was the main event. Uh, John was the opening band, but Jesus was the headliner. He says, there's somebody coming who is so much greater than me. This ministry is amazing. People responding is fantastic. They're repenting and turning to God and becoming a part of this. But nobody, very few people, I know some of you are probably music people who show up for the opening band, uh, and then you leave once the main event starts because that's not who you're really there for. I guarantee there's at least one person here who does that. But most of us deal with the openings to get to the main thing. And that's what he's inviting into, is saying, hey, remember, there's somebody coming who's greater than me. And his baptism is a rushing river. It's wild. There's fire that marks it, which is purifying and cleansing. And his invitation to participation in the life of God is one marked by a wild adventure that's best imagined through flames of fire that are purifying and wild, that ignites that spark. It says, that's who's coming. In Matthew so far, we haven't seen grown-up Jesus yet. And so we get left on the edge of our seat of like, I can't wait to see that guy. 
When John speaks of one who's coming who is mightier than himself, the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit and fire, this is none other than Jesus the Messiah, the embodiment of God's kingdom. So embracing the baptism of repentance, we anticipate the transformative work of the Holy Spirit, purifying and refining us for the kingdom life. So what do we do with that? Here's three different ways that I want to call us as a community to remember some of the things we just learned. Uh, First and foremost, the kingdom is here. As we think about these words, think about the urgency they were declared with at that point. How much more so 2,000 years later when we together say the kingdom of God is not just near, it is here. Right? Jesus got to say repent for the kingdom of God is here. John's just like one chapter before that saying it's near. When we look at it, we've got 2,000 years of history saying, look at all the different ways that the kingdom of God is here. Look across this community and recognize and realize this isn't an idea. It's not just a thought. It's not just well wishes. But the kingdom of God, the realm where God dwells, is actually breaking in to Gilbert, Chandler, Mesa, Phoenix, Apache Junction, Buckeye. All the places that we call home because we're there the kingdom of God is breaking in. And it's been breaking in long before we were even there. We get to join God with what he's up to. In 2024, what if we remember that in every context we were in, that we're joining Jesus with the work he's already doing in that space? And this isn't imagination. This isn't made up. This is beautiful, real life. If that was our point of view going into the next year, I wonder what shifts for us in our friendships, the way we approach our classes, our marriages, our parenting, the way we approach our jobs or our hunt for jobs, the way we approach our homes or our hunt for homes, uh, the way that we engage with people that we date or people that we don't date, the choices in media we make or we don't make. The kingdom of God is here and it's breaking in all across the valley, all across the world, we get to join God in what he's up to, but his kingdom is already here. The second thing I want us to be reminded of is that we're called to repent. Uh, We are called to be people who don't just talk about repentance, who don't just pray about repentance, who don't just read about repentance, who don't just write blog posts about repentance, who just don't post a clever little hashtag repentance, but who actually repent. And this word's not a wild, crazy word. Uh, This week, I had to change my car battery. I went to my mechanic, and they said, hey, your battery's going to die soon. It's not cranking all the way up. It's going to die. It could die tomorrow, or it could die, like, but definitely by summer, it'll be done. A week later, it's dead, right? So that's how you can trust your mechanic, or they did something to it, right? Either way, I went, but he didn't sell me the battery, so I can trust him. Uh, So I went over to AutoZone, and I got the battery. They didn't have it in stock. The old man River that was there said, hey, um, here's another one that's comparable. I was like, is it really though? And the other guy comes by and he said, no, it's not. You need a different battery. We'll order it in. So I order my battery. I go and get it the next day. And by this point, I'm like two days without a car, which like makes you, we got to do some stuff. This is a lot of coordinating we got to do. Um, and so I got the battery in the truck. I put it in. Uh, I put the one, um, what are they called? Can I, I'm looking at Nick. Nick has no idea. He already told us he doesn't know. Uh, he, I don't know cars. I told you everybody that the other week. Uh, now I put the one connector on and I go to put the other connector on and then I was like, all right, cool, we get to go. And so I put my key in, turn the ignition, nothing. I was like, are you kidding me? 
and my, I have a little bit more knowledge than Nick, but not much more. And so uh, I was aware that there was a problem, and I was aware there wasn't much I could do. But I thought, like, it was the battery because that's what it told me it was going to be. And so I went back in there, and I looked at it. And I'm looking at it, and so I take both of them off, and I'm like, crap, did I, like, reverse the different thing? Because one's positive, one's negative, and you're not supposed to put the wrong one on. It, like, melts your battery. So that's a bad choice. Um, done that before, but that was 20 years ago, and I'm wiser now. And so put, no, they're on the right one, and so I go to put it on again. I was like, no, it's not working. Try to go back out to the battery, like around the front of the truck, and I'm like, all right, so what is this? And I'm looking at it, and then I just go to pull the things off again. And when I pull it off, uh, I recognize that there's something on top of the terminal that wiggled. And I was like, you're an idiot, Platt. There's a plastic cap on top of the terminal, which prevents you from getting the electricity coming through to actually going to the terminal. And so there is a cap there, and it's blocking me from being able to start my truck. It's plastic. It's sitting there, and I should know that. It's not silver. It's black. That's why they do that, so you know it's there. And I was like, oh, man, that's now blocking me from experiencing the full life of my truck. All I have to do is remove that, right, and I can experience this. How dumb would I be if I left it there and be like, oh, cool, now I know. It's the plastic. That's keeping me from it. Slam the hood down and go on with my life. How many of you be like, yeah, that's a dude we want to follow? Like, we're really glad that guy's teaching us about Jesus. Like, we're, that guy's a really wise man for life. Nobody. What is repentance? Repentance is realizing I'm wrong. There's a mistake that's been made, and I remove that thing that I know is blocking the life that could be coming through my truck. That's repentance, right? I changed my mind, and I did something about it. Repentance wasn't me realizing that there was a block on the terminal. Repentance was me taking that off, reconnecting it, and being able to drive here today. Let's not freak ourselves out with this word called repentance. There are things in our lives that are probably blocking us from experiencing the life of the kingdom. And in God's grace and in his kindness, he reveals those to us. Would we be people who in wisdom and joy say, I need to take that off? And then able to experience the life of the kingdom. That's what the word repentance means. To change your mind, which leads to a change in behavior. And it's God's kindness that leads us into that. So we experience a full and flourishing life. Uh, the very last thing, that going into 2024, will we be people that repent often and quickly and fully and deeply and joyfully? And would we remember that the spirit of the living God is at work today? The same God who works in your heart and meets you when you sit down with your pen and your paper and your scripture or while you're on your hike or while you're sitting on a beach or while you're in the midst of the struggle and you find comforting, that same spirit that inspires you with a vision of what could be in another pocket of people across the world, that same spirit that led you to start your business, that same spirit that's given you a kindness to shepherd others, the same spirit that allows you to have words to give healing to somebody in need, that same spirit that brings renewal is alive in others throughout this building, and he's at work throughout the world. What shifts for us if we start to approach people and places as if God's spirit was actually doing something there, not like we had to make it happen and maybe God would join us? This baptism was with fire and the spirit, and Jesus promises us that he has sent that same spirit to fill us for the work that he's given us to do. As small and mundane as that may seem, or as globally shifting as that may be, 
whatever that work is, the spirit of the living God is preparing you and propelling you into that. Will you respond? Those three things. The kingdom is here. What if we look at 2024 that way? We're called into repentance, deep and joy-filled, turning from the things that we know block life as the Spirit reveals them to embrace true life. And then remembering the Spirit of God is at work and joining Him in that both in our own lives and in the lives of friends and across our cities. We started with a fictional story of Maria. It's not a true story, though it could have been. But what if this year the work Jesus did in your life and the visible way it impacted your community was reasons for your neighbors to show up at your door. And then you, with a knowing and grace-filled look, can take them not to the bank of the Jordan, but to your dining room table and share with them the life and the hope that's only found in Jesus, who has already come, and we wait to come again. Would you pray with me?